0: for joining us today at Launchpoint Church in Lebanon Tennessee we believe the bible is the written word of god without error and useful for every part of our lives we believe that through learning and teaching of the word others might come to know god find freedom discover their purpose and make a difference turn to first timothy chapter 3 i've kind of intentionally over the last few weeks done one-offs um uh, to really kind of get down in the in the weeds with you. Uh, so today I'm going to talk from 1 Timothy 3, 14 through 16, which I'll get to in just a minute. But before we do, let's let's go to the word, to the Lord in prayer. Father God, in Jesus' name, I thank you. I thank you for the opportunity to not just declare your word, to teach it, but to sit under the weight of it. God, to be able to speak to your people about it. God, I thank you for the calling, not just mine, but the calling of every individual in this room, to serve your greater body. I ask, Heavenly Father, that by your Holy Spirit you equip us, that you empower us by the declaration of your word, so that we can be everything you've told us that we could be, and everything that we should be, so that ultimately. People who don't know you come to know you because we we were able to tell them about you. And for that purpose, Lord, we ask for wisdom and revelation. God, I ask that you give me a humility in my speech. But God, also give a boldness to the hearer to take what is said and stand in it. We praise you, Lord. We thank you for everything that you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so most of you know, I was an instructor at the police academy for 10 years, law enforcement road deputy before that. When I was an instructor at the academy, I read a book called Sun Tzu. Is there an echo in here? It's a little bit of an echo. Uh, So I was an instructor at the academy, and I read a book while there. Um, The Art of War by Sun Tzu. If you're ever considered, if you like tactician work or stuff like that, read it. It'll blow your mind. But anyway, he makes a statement inside of that book that says, advanced techniques are the basics mastered. Let me say that again. Advanced techniques are the basics mastered. Now, what does he mean by that? He's saying, listen, if you'll just take the basic forms of combat or the basic forms of the truths of the Word of God as, as, as in regard to what I'm speaking of now, then you'll far exceed any advanced understanding that you might hope to have. If you will just focus on letting the main thing be the main thing, you won't need all these advanced techniques. People come up to me now pretty regular, or I hear other preachers and they're talking, and they're trying to come up with some new fancy revelation or some new whimsical idea or some something that would be considered super spiritual or above your typical pastor pay grade or whatever, at the end of the day, what they're doing is they're making the Word more complicated than it is when in fact the Word has the ability to stand on its own. It is the basic truth of who we are and what we should be and who God is and His revealed plan over us. And so I can talk using big words. I can talk saying, God told me this in regard to this outside the context of the word. It doesn't make it true. Matter of fact, it's liable to move you away from the truth. Let's just stick to the basics. If we're going to get bogged down, let's get bogged down in the main things. Amen? And so that's what I want to talk to you about today is the main things. Unfortunately, the church is horrible at this. We want to argue our pet doctrines or our pet theologies. We want to argue or discuss the the importance of one small ministry versus the importance of another small ministry. When in fact, none of those things are significant in the great scheme of things, the only thing that is significant is Christ and Him crucified but we get bogged down in all this stuff because it's easy. See, here's the thing. Those are peace those are peacetime talks. If you want to talk to me about secondary theologies or third-tier theologies that don't really matter, you're just trying to fill space in a room. We could be talking about Jesus. That's right. <laughs> but we feel comfortable in arguing our peacetime arguments. The problem is because we've studied them. Well, I know the truth about this little thing. It's a third-tier thing. It's equally important. If the Word speaks about it, it's important. But it's not a salvation issue, but we still want to talk about it because we studied it. Here's the problem. We create a space where Jesus isn't being talked about. We're creating division instead of unity. Amen? In our peacetime talks, we fail to see one thing. We're not in peacetime. This is wartime. The enemy is assaulting the church and the people of God and the people who don't know God in a way that is he, like he's, we've never even imagined he would attack them. Marriage is under attack, family is under attack, government is under attack, everything. It's a spiritual combat that we should be fighting, but instead we'd rather sit around and go toe to toe instead of stand shoulder to shoulder. And it's time that the church stops. Let's make the main thing, the main thing, not at the exclusion of the secondary things, but let's make sure we're spending the most time talking about the most important thing. Everybody okay? So what is the most important thing? There are three things that Paul discusses in the text that I gave you in 1 Timothy. He talks Uh, in, In this text, let me just read it to you. He starts really with the thesis of why he's writing Timothy in the first place. He says this in verse 14. He said, I'm writing these things to you. That is everything preceding what I've written to you. I'm writing these things to you, hoping to come before you before long. But in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the house of God. So his thesis statement right out of the gate is, listen, before I even get started talking to you about the main things, I need you to understand, I'm writing you to make sure you know how you're supposed to act in regard to the house of God. That is individually and corporately. You know, we are the house of God, but you, being the temple of the Holy Spirit, are also the house of God. And so whether you're in this building or outside this building, you should know how you ought to walk. And so he makes this statement. He says, I've told you everything I've told you so that you know how you ought to act. Can I tell you, my papa's told me stuff like that. (laughs) Listen, boy, I'm only trying to do you some good here. I'm just trying to tell you how you should be acting as opposed to how you are acting. And if I didn't pay attention, consequences and repercussions. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Y'all, y'all. Y'all people as old as me and older know exactly what I'm talking about. So he gives this thing. He says, listen, so I'm going to tell you. And then he tells you tells us three things we need to consider, keep in remembrance, and make the main thing in regard to who we are and how we should behave. First, he says this. First thing we need to do is to recognize this is the house of the God which is the church of the living God. Did y'all hear me? This is the house of God, which is the church of the living God. This should be a place of reverence. This should be a place of obedience. This should be a place of honor and integrity. This is a place where our character Counts Because people don't read their word that don't know Jesus. They read you. People that come into this house that are trying to figure out if they need a family are looking to see what kind of family we have. And I've been in some houses to where I thought, man, I don't even want to be near that family, much less inside of it. But we are the household of God. And yet, once we leave the household of God, we determine to live any way, any way we choose and end up defiling that which we are because we don't obey the rules of the house we live in. Did you know your, your house has rules? How many of you guys just live a rule, live in a rule, rule-less house? People just come and go, do whatever they want to. They'd be picking up your furniture and leaving with it. Everybody's got house rules. My papa had house rules. I have house rules. I have house rules for my babies. And then I got house rules for my grandbabies. They might be different rules, but they're rules. The little boy walked in yesterday. He come running in the living room. He goes, Papa, cookie. Mama, mama's, mama said, not his mama, his mama. Mama said, he can only have one. And I'm a, See your house. These are Papa's rules, man. So he got cookies and a couple of tiger-striped zebra cakes and some pizza, and then we sent them all. Right? <clears throat> but in all seriousness, well, we've had the privilege, Angela and I have, of allowing people to come and stay with us for different seasons of their life when they're struggling. And we have rules for each other. But when someone comes into our house, there's rules too. When somebody would come stay with us, we'd say, listen, you're going to be here for X number of days or X number of weeks or however long. We had a guy live with us for like a year and a half. But we told him straight out of the gate, this is not appropriate behavior in our house. This is appropriate behavior in our house. You will leave the house because my wife works from home. When I leave the house, you will return to the house when I get back to the house. Everything you have here, you're welcome to. You can get food, whatever you want. On Sunday and Wednesday, whether you feel good or don't, we're going to church. Because we crawl in, we don't call in. Those are the rules. And God has rules too. And we have every obligation because He is our Father and He has the right to make the rules to follow those rules. Amen? We need to recognize and acknowledge that He owns it. It's His household. Ephesians 2.19 says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. You guys aren't people that don't know each other. But are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. You are of God's household. Galatians 6.10, So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. That is God's house. We're an outreach church. I am blessed to say it. Because of y'all's giving, we're able to reach this community. we have I just had a conversation with Miss Diana, the school that we support for food. We found out that some of the kids can't even afford, or their parents won't even go as far as to fill out their free lunch paperwork just to give them free lunch. And so it's costing the school $500 a month out of their budget that they don't have. And so because of y'all's generosity, because of who we are, we were able to meet that obligation for the rest of the year until those parents finally come around and fill the paperwork out because those kids don't deserve to be hungry. Amen? Why do I tell you that? I tell you that because we are an outreach church. But let me tell you, we're going to take care of the people inside the house first because it says especially the household of faith. Take care of us first. Every time we do a food drive, every time we do a school supply drive, every time we do something, I'm specific to say, listen, if you need school clothes, if you need something, if you're hungry at your house, you come talk to me or you email me. Nobody's ever going to know your business because we are family and that's the rule that God gave us. That's the main thing. That's one of the main things, that my family won't be hungry, that my family won't be cold, and that my family will have a shelter and will be loved unconditionally. Why is that my rule? Because that's the rule that God established for his church. And he's the living God, he has the right to do with it what he wants to, because he bought and paid for it. Amen. Acts 20:28 20, says, "The church of God which he purchased with his own blood." Titus 2:14, "He gave himself for us to redeem from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people" For, y'all, y'all should just, just soak this in. For His own possession, yes. we do what God says because God paid for us. Because we've declared out of our own mouth that He is Lord, which means our opinion doesn't matter. That's how the house of God should act. He says, "I write to you so that you might know how to act." in the house of God because you serve a living God. You don't serve a statue of dead wood or gold. Why why do I say that? I say that because this living God that you serve, unlike a statue of wood or gold, you're going to be answerable to. I'm going to be answerable to. You know why I'm so consistently bringing the word, not opinion? Because I know that I serve a living God that's eternal, and I'm going to stand before Him one day. And we should live As the house of God with that same understanding, I have a responsibility to you, you have a responsibility to each other, we have a responsibility to one another, which is a responsibility to this community. Amen. All right, am I going too far? Good, that's good because I ain't done yet. (laughs) Understanding that God is a living God is fitting. for the church of Ephesus. Why is the church of why are you talking about Ephesus? Because Timothy was the pastor in the church of Ephesus. The second thing that he wanted them to know is that we are responsible to be the pillars and the support of the truth. The household of God should be the pillar and the support for the truth. I don't know about you guys, but it drives me crazy that the church, the big C church has determined to be this impotent entity that can't do anything to change its culture. When Jesus Christ gave us the spirit to walk in the power to turn the world upside down, he's writing to Ephesus through Timothy, essentially, which is significant because pillars and foundations meant something to the Ephesian church. This verbiage wouldn't have been lost on them. William Barclay wrote this. He said, one of Ephesians, one of the things in Ephesus was the temple of the goddess of Diana, which was supported by pillars. It contained 127 pillars, each one of them a gift from a king, all made of marble, some studded with jewels and overlaid with gold. So here are 127 pillars holding up the roof to a false deity, and he's saying we can do better. We should be better. We We are called to be the pillars that stand upon the foundation of the word of God. That should be able to be built upon, not just in this generation, but the next generation, and every generation until Jesus comes back. This is not God's great suggestion box. Amen. Amen. I want this church so badly, not just this church, the people of God. And and I, I this is going to sound like I'm bragging. I'm not. I promise. I have an affection and it's the only word that I could think of. I have an affection for the word of God. There's a reason why I've had to rebound this thing. There's a reason why there's so many notes in it. Some of them I can't even make out anymore because I fell in love with my Bible and I want you so badly to fall in love with your Bible. I have carried my Bible, my physical Bible, everywhere I've gone for the last 17 years. I can remember the first time I left it at church. The only time I left it at church that I can remember. We were at Cornerstone. I hadn't been saved very long. And I left it in my seat. And I called the church early that next morning because I realized I didn't have it. And I talked to the pastor, one of the associate pastors there. I was just some knucklehead dragging my feet around the parking lot, serving where I could. And I said, I left my Bible at the church. He said, okay, I'll take care of it. I said, no, no, no. I need you to open the church so I could come in there and get it. I can't let my Bible sit in the church until Wednesday. I need it today. I'm going to call in, tell them at my my job that I'm going to be a about thirty minutes late, but I'll be by there. Can somebody meet me to pick it up? And he said, and he was so impressed with that. I'm all to my new Christian mind that was it was weird to me that he was impressed with that. I'm all well. Doesn't everybody who leaves their Bible at church do that? Doesn't everybody have an affection for their word? And let me tell you, sadly, the answer to that is no. We're just as comfortable laying it in the back seat of our car so that we'll remember where it is next Sunday or next Wednesday. This is the truth. We've been called been called to be pillars upon which we stand on that truth to uphold the truths within it in an uncompromising way. How do I do that, Pastor Jim? How's that possible in today's society? First of all, it's probably inappropriate. Put your big boy britches on and act like you're a man or a woman who cares enough about God to potentially offend someone by telling them the truth. Now, is it our intent to offend? No, it shouldn't because we should say everything we say in love, but if it is offensive, I'm going to give you the number one reason why people get offended when you tell them about the Word as in regard to how they're living or juxtapose it against how they're living. The number one reason they get offended is because you've drawn them to conclusion of choice. They've got to a place, whether they were ignorant of it or not, where they have to stand now before you and decide and make a decision, am I going to hear the truth and be obedient to it or am I going to walk away from it? And if they determine that they're walking away from it, you're the hinging point in their mind that brought them to that place. But you know what? Say it anyway. Tell them the truth anyway. You guys know one of my favorite verses. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies his kisses. Love them enough to tell them the truth but you can't tell them the truth if you don't sit yourself as a pillar upon the foundation of the word. There you go. I can't tell people what I don't know. I can't lead them where I won't go. That's true. So how do I do that? How do you do that? How do we do that? Because with the Holy Spirit, I had a guy tell me, just, you know, I, I pretty much say whatever I want to. The Bible tells me that the Spirit will bring to my recollection whatever needs to be said. I say, well, you're ignorant. First of all, you can't say blue socks, red socks, green socks, and the Holy Spirit get his message across. You have to know the Word of God. And as you declare the Word of God, then the Spirit will bring to your remembrance more of the Word of God. But if you don't have the Word of God in you, you can't bring the Word of God out of you. So we have to, red socks, blue socks, that's stupid. Anyway, you get the idea. But we, so we have to, how do I do that? I have to hear the word of God. I have to meditate on the word of God. I have to believe the word of God. I have to memorize the word of God. I have to be willing to defend the word of God. I have to be willing to proclaim the word of God. These are the basic truths. Amen. Because the word of God is everything in regarding the truth, in regard to the truth. But what truth are we most significantly called to? Paul says it. In 1 Timothy, he says. And I love this. By common confession. What what verbiage does yours say in the King James? What does yours read? The first part of 16. Verse 16. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 16 says, and without controversy. Okay, that's good. That's all I need. Without controversy. My NASB says, by common confession. You know what Paul's saying? Regardless whether you read the King James Version, regardless whether you read the NASB 95, Paul is saying this. Listen, I'm about to tell you some stuff. Ain't nobody disbelieving. Everybody knows it's true. There's no conflict about it. It's common confession amongst people of our day. Sadly the common confession of that day is not the common confession of today's day. What they believed back then, people have a really hard time believing right now. But then he says this, the number one thing, the main main thing. He who was received or he was he who was revealed in the flesh, he was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels. Proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. You know what he's saying? Jesus. It's common confession that Jesus has proven himself all of these things. In six stanzas, he said he was revealed in the flesh. Jesus Christ was the perfect reflection of God. Did you know that? Let me read this to you. I could, I'll prove this to you in the Word. Hebrews chapter 1. I love that the author of Hebrews, I think it's Paul, but whoever. Hebrews starts out with this. God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in His Son whom he appointed heir of all things through him who had, he had made the world. And he, that is Jesus, is the radiance of his glory, that is God's glory, and the exact representation of his nature. And upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had been made purifi- when he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high, having become a much better Having become as much better than the angels, as he inherited a more excellent way than they. What does he say? What I want you to focus on here. He is the radiance of God's glory, the accurate, the exact representation of his nature. That first stanza says it all. He was God, revealed to us in the flesh. Read the first. 14 verses of John. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Word was God. God, Right on. And the Word, verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And he's saying, nobody's arguing this, but everybody wants to argue it today. Do you believe this Word is true? Yes, sir then you should be arguing it too. It says it's a great mystery. Some stuff we're not going to know the answer to. How does a word become flesh? I don't know. It ain't my problem to know. It's my problem to have faith. If I had every answer to every question I ever had, I wouldn't need faith. I'd have knowledge. Some things God kept from us so that we keep digging. And I'm glad He did. He was vindicated by the Spirit. To be vindicated... It literally, it means that he was declared righteous. He was justified. He was vindicated by his very nature, the spirit of who he was. He was vindicated by his perfection. Hebrews 4.15, Tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Yeah. Hebrews 7.26 says he's holy, innocent, undefiled, undefiled separated, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He was a sinless sacrifice. But he was also vindicated by the resurrection. Because if he wasn't sinless, he'd still be in the ground because he'd have never been able to be the sacrifice that we needed. But Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he ain't in the ground anymore. We're no longer in our sin. Amen? Because Christ has been vindicated. But he's not just been vindicated, he's been seen by angels throughout his whole life. Before he got here, he was surrounded by angels. When he was born here, an angel gave testimony of him. Throughout his ministry, angels declared the testimony over him. At his ascension, two angels gave testimony of him. He is seen by angels. Nobody in Paul's time was arguing this truth. Why is that? Because everybody had seen him. Check this out. I don't know why we don't talk about this more. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says, Paul's talking, he said, he said, and that he appeared to Cephas. This is Jesus after having been raised from the dead. Appeared to Cephas, that's Peter. Then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time. Did y'all catch that? We don't talk a lot about that. In agrarian, rural Israel at the time, 500 people was a lot of people. And let me tell you, nobody likes to talk like country people like to talk. You get 500 country people together, and they see Jesus walking around after they knew he was in the ground. Man, they are on the, what they call the line, the party line, talking to everybody. Y'all ain't going to believe this. But then he says this. Most of whom remain until now, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one ultimately born, he appeared to me also. And let me tell you, by the Spirit of God, through somebody's declaration, he was appeared to you too. Isn't that beautiful? This this hymn of Paul's is beautiful, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations. He ascends. People start talking in tongues. People get freaked out, weirded out by it. They come see what it's about. And thousands of people get saved the first time Peter declared the name of Jesus. A couple days later, several thousand more. Can I tell y'all something? It's going to mess you up. Can I tell you something in anticipation and hope that it messes you up? The Spirit hasn't lost any of His power since that day. We've lost our willingness to submit to it. It's amazing that Peter can stand up and 3,000 people give their life to the Lord. I stand up, people look at me like a cow staring at a new fence. I'm telling the same truth. Right? Well, what can a little me do? Little me, you can't do nothing. But the Spirit in you can do all things. Pastor David Peden, pastors, we are church. First day he planted, man, the first day he was open, I went there. I supported him, and he's talking to me before service, and he's freaking out, man. Like, he's sweating. And he looks at me, and goes, Pastor, I don't think I can do this. <laughs> I don't know if I can do this, man. he got his sermon prepared. He's got his little worship team up there and a gymnasium at the school. Remember that? And I looked at him and said, You're right. He goes, What? Not, not what he wanted to hear, you know. I said, Put the Spirit of God in you can, That's Right. and he will if you'll be humble and faithful. And he's shown up every time. Don't let us lose the power of the Spirit God has placed in us because somebody has told us too many times that we're not capable of doing what the Spirit is only capable of doing in the first place. The whole idea is that you are capable. If you were capable, you'd be unusable because then you'd receive glory. Not a tangent. I went off on a tangent a little bit, but you get the idea. We have to proclaim in expectation that people will believe in the world. They believed on him. That's the next stanza. Because when you speak the truth, somebody's going to listen to the truth. Someone's going to believe the truth, stand in the truth, walk in the truth, and ultimately be at the judgment seat of Christ because you were bold enough to tell them. Nobody was arguing this at Paul's time. That freaks me out. Because I argue with church folks. You know, something like 50%. But it fits some greater than that. I gave this number a couple weeks ago. Like 70% of all youth pastors today don't believe youth pastors. Now, you know that youth pastors are senior pastors of tomorrow. That don't believe this is 100% the inerrant word of God. That's the condition of Christianity in America today. Listen, I don't care what it says. If the Bible says the sun stood still, it stood still. still. People well, then we'd fall off the face of the earth. God made the earth. You don't think he could keep us from falling off it? We're like a speck of dust in the universe. We're small business. Except that God tended to focus his love on us. I don't care what the Word of God says. It's true. Most of it isn't analogy or metaphor. It's history. Anyway, I could talk all day long, but if you don't believe what I'm telling you is the truth. And then finally, taken up in glory. He was taken up into glory, sitting now at the right hand of the Father make an intercession on our behalf. is that a beautiful thing? You want to know what the main thing is? The main thing is that we know whose house we belong to. The main thing is that we stand on this truth. And the main thing is that through this truth, we declare the gospel message of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Amen.